This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You're listening to the New Yorker Poetry Podcast. I'm Paul Muldoon, the poetry editor of the magazine. And on this program, we invite poets to choose a poem from the New Yorker archive to read and discuss. And then we ask them to read uh, one of their own poems that's been published in the magazine. And I'm delighted to say that my guest today is Michael Dickman. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Paul. Now, the poem you've chosen to read is Cow by Ellen Bryan Voigt, one of her uh, extraordinary poems about animals. What was it about the cow that uh, drew your attention to it? There are a couple things about this poem that I'm very, very, very excited about. First of all is how different the poem feels to me of my understanding of Ellen Bryan Voigt's work before these poems that appear in her book Headwaters. And I love some things about light that happen in the beginning and the end of the poem and how the poem sort of is a poem from little tiny parts or moments that sort of make it breathe. You know, it does seem as if she has uh, hit on some extraordinarily rich new seam here in these poems. I think so. Absolutely. There's something really, really, really exciting about the speed of the work and the um, maybe emotional qualities of the, of the new poems. Let's have a listen to Carr. End of the day, daylight, subsiding into the trees, lights coming on in the milking barns, as somewhere out in the yard, some ants are tucking in their aphids for the night behind hydrangea leaves or in their stanchions underground. They have been bred for it, the smaller brain serving the larger brain, The cows eat, so we will eat. We guarantee digestion is the only work they do. Heads down, tails up, for the maximum yield. They won't have sex. They get some grain, some salt. They get their shots. No catamounts, no wolves. We fertilize the fields. We put up bales of hay. Oblivious, one breached the fence last week. The neighbors stopped to shoo it back. A girl held out a handful of grass, calling the cow as you would a dog. No dice. So what if she recoiled to see me burst from the house with an axe? I held it by the blade. I tapped with the handle where the stakes come from. Like the one I serve my friend. He is a water sign who likes to lurk in the plural solitude of Zen retreat to calm his mind. But when it's done, what he needs, I think, is something truly free of mind. A slab of earth by way of cow, by way of fire, the surface charred, the juices running pink and red on the white plate. That was Cow by Ellen Bryant Voigt, and that was published in the December 6, 2010 
issue of the magazine. So this is a poem that uh, is interesting in the sense that it seems to have an agenda and yet not have an agenda. Mm. It seems to have a political position. Mm. But if it does, it's presenting it in a rather um, skewed or uh, Mm -hmm. tangential way. You must be speaking of the things at the end about the Zen retreat and the the friend who looks to Zen and then the speaker of the poem who wants to offer him a slab of steak. I think that there's something about what you say to many aspects of the poem, that it isn't a poem that shouts at you. It doesn't hit you over the head with what it thinks it wants to say. Um, There's a little thing that she says in the poem that I think at least for me, when I first read it in the magazine, was sort of a key to how the poem was working, the smaller brain serving the larger brain, Mm -hmm. where you have all of these really amazing electric moments doing their own thing, these smaller brains that then do the work for the whole poem. All in concert. Absolutely, yeah. What is it, would you say, about the animal kingdom that has been so productive Hmm. in another sense Hmm. for poets. Poets do seem to excel. Mm -hmm. One thinks in the 20th century of Moore, D.H. Lawrence, Mm -hmm. Bishop, so many Mm -hmm. others excelling when coming face to face uh, with uh, the animal. Yeah, sure. And even before, you know, thinking of like um, a poet I'm obsessed with lately, John Clare, if you read his poems about foxes and hedgehogs versus his love poems, I feel more drawn to the animal poems. There's something akin to Clare's innocence, if we may call it that, his ignorance, his Mm -hmm. openness Mm -hmm. about this poem. Absolutely. And also I think about his speed, a poet who often didn't write with punctuation. His editors will put that in. And then here we have a new poem by Ellen Bryant Voigt, um, written without punctuation, although her older poems would have it. So there's this speed, there is this innocent sort of gaze at the cow and the animal in the poem that's exciting. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, in the December 12th, 2011 issue, we were very pleased to be able to publish Michael Dickman's poem, My Honeybee, another animal poem, and which you're going to read for us now, Michael sure. Dickman. My Honeybee. Crying in the cosmos, that doesn't sound like you. Crying in our arms, in the cosmos, in our arms. Missile static and afterburn in the petals. Your yellow and black stingers. A child's drawing. Some riddle from before we were born that sounds like a river and spreads on toast and floats from flower to flower. The first needle, the honey in the pot. I have always wanted to wake up surrounded by buzz and fuzz. My head lifted by a furry crown set sailing into the late drone afternoon, drifting at the speed of sound. 
my mouth full of strange sunlight. Killer bumble honey in the brain. Dusting the earth. Sail on. Sail on. I have always wanted to bump the stamen and start the universe swaying. Those ten thousand wings you hear coming for you are yours, my little honeybee, burning in place, in space, pinprick in the epileptic air, or swept up from the corners and wrapped in banana leaves. Are you hungry? Alive in the middle of the room, alive in flowers, your white shoulders and white rump, invisible death's head turning on and off in the dark. I noticed that uh, you too, Michael Dickman, have issued punctuation. Have you, have you some problem with the period and the comma? My problem has to do with the terrible education that I made sure that I had. You know, poems in my first book, The End of the West, sort of have punctuation sometimes, sometimes not. And then I felt like I would just get rid of them altogether and try to punctuate with other things, line breaks, stanza breaks. I think one of the effects, uh, to be serious for a moment, is that it allows one to read a line in a couple of directions. It allows a line to perhaps do even more work mm. than it might if the if those particular delineations were mm. were put in place. I hope that that's right. You know, it's one of the things that I really loved about reading um, other poets who do not use punctuation, um, Ellen Brian Voigt in this new book, or someone like W.S. Merwin, who hasn't used it since the 70s, that there was a way to read the poems in more than one direction, and that the line sometimes did some extra exciting thing because of the lack of punctuation. Michael Dickman, this seems like uh, an ideal opportunity to talk a little more, uh, perhaps, about your method in a word or two. How do you go about writing a poem like this? Can you remember where it started, for example? The poems that I write are a kind of guided-by-voices method. I keep little notebooks and phrases, pieces of language occur to me that I'm excited about. I write them down, and then sometimes they start calling to each other in the notebook, sort of like magnets. And when enough of them seem to come together, then I start putting a poem like that together. And so for this particular one, it was the actually the first line in the poem, crying in the cosmos, that doesn't sound like you, was this sort of half-dreamt line. And then the rest of the poem came together afterwards. Do you know what you're doing as you're writing the poem? I have no idea. Every time it's just total discovery. I have no idea and I have no plan or agenda that I'm aware of. I mean, it seems to me that that's one of the reasons uh, why poets who operate in that vein are able, if luck is with them, and they're open to that possibility, to write poems that uh, will in fact surprise their readers uh, in just the way they surprised the authors themselves. I hope so. I hope so. Michael Dickman, thank you very much indeed for talking to us today. Thank you, Paul. Cow by Ellen Brian Voigt, as well as Michael Dickman's poem, My Honeybee, may be found on newyorker.com. Michael Dickman's latest book of poems is Flies. 
For the moment, I'm Paul Muldoon, poetry editor of The New Yorker. Until next time. You can subscribe to this free podcast in the iTunes store. You can also hear poems from the magazine read by the authors in the digital edition for tablets and phones, available at no extra charge for magazine subscribers from the App Store or from Google Play. The theme music is The Pentagree Ferryman from the album The Highlander's Farewell by Alistair Fraser and Natalie Haas from Colburny Records. The New Yorker Poetry Podcast is produced by Owen Agnew for Curtis Fox Productions and NewYorker.com with help from Elizabeth Dennison. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read the Iliad again, whether I'm that literate, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. (laughs) He can't stop. I mean, and and bless him, I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. (laughs) 